Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening again. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to our patrons. We have Drew, Kate, Becca, Donna, Lindsay, Kirsten, Brian, Taya, Alex, Janelle, Morgie, and Unwoman. Thank you all so much for supporting. If you want to support us, patreon.com slash isittransphobic. Also, the website that we use is isittransphobic.com. I got that, and we got it set up uh, before the recordings were done. Yay! Uh, that said, I'm also going to be part of a festival, as are a number of folks who have been on the podcast and will be on the podcast. It is the We Are Trans Fest. Uh, it is happening from October 16th through the 18th. My show will be on the 17th at 3 p.m. Uh, but it's a really amazing festival filled with uh, a variety of different acts. Uh, we Are Trans welcomes you to our first ever festival. We will have a panel discussions, variety shows, and more over three days. All shows and passes are free to Black trans people. Individual shows are pay what you can with a suggestion of $5 or more. Day passes can be purchased for donations of $15 or more. And festival pass is your for any donation of 30 or more and grants you entry to the entire festival, except the shows that are exclusively for the black trans community. And all shows and passes are once again, free to black trans people. Uh, that said, you can go to, we are Transfest. The best place to find it uh, is at their Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash, I'll just link it to you. You'll, you'll find it. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> but it's hosted by We Are Trans. Um, and yeah, I really hope that you get to see the piece that I have in there. And I really hope that you get to see all the other amazing, interesting, cool pieces that we've got going on for that festival. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy this episode of The Lost Boys. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, just as a note, when we recorded this, we recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago, and then maybe two days ago, Alex Winter, who is the man who plays Bill from Bill and Ted, I literally just refer to him as Bill from Bill and Ted uh, in this episode, uh, he was asked thoughts on Bill being a trans icon, which is a thing I didn't realize and I need to do a deeper dive into, and I would love to, uh, but Alex Winter, the man who plays Bill from Bill and Ted, uh, tweeted a uh, the, the trans flag, specifically the black trans flag, uh, and when questioned or when asked, like, hey, you know, did you know that you shared that? He was like, yeah, that was intentional. Uh, that's a tweet from September 14th, if you want to find it. His his uh, Twitter is at Winter. And honestly, yeah, hey, fuck yeah, Alex Winter. You Like, ah, I've loved you for a while. Yay, good. Happy to hear it. Uh, be excellent to each other, y'all. Is It Transphobic will be addressing issues of transphobia and transmisogyny. We may also address issues of racism, classism, ableism, and various other intersectional issues in this podcast. So this is a trigger warning. The panelists on Is It Transphobic will also use strong language. So listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. My name is Ashley Lauren Rogers. I'm the creator and producer of the Is a Transphobic podcast. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. And today I'm being joined by... S.A. Hunt, um, a short for Samara. Um, I use she, her pronouns. And I'm a horror author. Awesome. And I'm uh, Silas Barrett. I use he, him pronouns. 
and I'm a writer. Yay. <laughs> so we watched what some people might think to be a very strange movie for this podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Lost Boys, which is the Kiefer Sutherland vampire movie. Uh, and there are no trans people explicitly stated. There are no trans people specifically involved. So um, why are we talking about this movie? Yeah, I was when I was re-watching re it, I was like, what? what? Why, why are we talking about this? Yeah. So part of it is, uh, and we did this with Birds of Prey as well, just because there are no trans people involved doesn't mean that we can't necessarily look at it from a trans or queer lens. But at the exact same time, the reason I wanted to do this movie is because someone brought up to me a theory that had been going around online, that Sam, the younger brother of the protagonist, Michael, was written as a trans, not written as a trans character, was written as a female character, probably cis female character, but portrayed by Corey Haim, who is a cis male actor. And obviously there's a lot in there that immediately says, well, they would have changed the script quite a bit then, if that's the case, because there's, you know, pronouns, et cetera, et cetera. But the more I started looking into it and the more I started trying to, like, remembering the piece, I said, like, there is a lot of stuff that is not weird, but strange from a cis writer's perspective to portray, to write for a, a young boy. So I wanted to kind of go through the movie and just say, like, hey, what did we see? What are we noticing about Sam? Uh, so just... General notes. First off, had either of you seen the movie prior to me assigning it to you? No, I hadn't seen it yet. It was, you know, one of those ones on the list. Uh, my partner, being a movie buff, has seen everything. So I was like, there's always a list of stuff that they want to show me. Um, and I did read your note about Sam before I watched it. So I was, <laughs> on the one hand, I wanted to catch as much as I could on the first go around. And on the other hand, mm -hmm. I, uh, I was trying to sort of wonder if I would have read it differently. Um, so that was an interesting experience. I, I had watched it before. I watched it a long time ago. And so yeah. I actually forgot to watch it last night. <laughs> so I got up this morning and watched it with my breakfast. And yeah, it was, it was a, an interesting experience watching a movie now with the context of this character was originally female as opposed to the way I watched it when I was younger. And like there are parts of the character and what the character does and their behavior that has a lot different context now that I know that the character was originally female in the script, especially the part where um, Corey Haim is sitting in the bathtub taking a bath with a bunch of bubble bath and he's like singing and just having a good time you know you don't really see male characters doing that and at the time i thought that was just cory Haim being cory Haim. <laughs> but now you know um now there's a different context to it and i'm like you know i can see how you know people would believe that yeah. And and unfortunately, through all the research that I've done, I was not able to find anyone who could confirm whether that was the the absolute case. So there's so it's still up in the air. It's it's still just a theory, but boy, is it an interesting theory. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, watching it through that lens from the get-go, um the moment where uh Sam is in the comic shop 
and they're like kind of like ragging on him and stuff and he starts saying why all the comics are in the wrong place that to me screamed this was written for a female character that sort of like the the geek girl has to come in and prove her cred beyond all doubt you know yeah. in order to be accepted i was like which felt a little different than like sort of like the way that the character you would assume would be like sort of the the one nerdy one around all these like cool quote unquote like kids of that sort of like you're a real sort of dork and we're gonna get on you to that would be like a more traditional outsider thing for for the the new kid who moved to the punk area or whatever and it's interesting because especially in that scene the immediate thing that we see is they start commenting on sam's fashion which Mm. you know is not specifically a thing that is like oh you know women fashion etc etc but at the same time that idea of like well what would they like oh you you are wearing clothing that is not of this space so clearly it's just like they tried really hard to like i feel like it felt like they tried really hard to keep that context yeah as opposed to like just saying like hey what are you doing here like i don't know like yeah there's just something weird about that Mm -hmm. yeah and in in some of the the research that i've done and some of the research that i was seeing there were people that because immediately the word that they tend to use for sam is either they think sam is coded gay or they think sam is coded queer in some way and part of it is the flamboyant clothing which i grew up in the 90s i grew up in the the late 80s early 90s so for me it's just like okay that was just clothing yeah to be fair like absolutely yeah yeah well especially like like when they came off of the 70s -hmm. and especially you had like the 80s rockers who instead of doing that thing of we're raiding like our female friends and wives closets because we're queer (laughs) we're now doing it because we're so masculine that we can do the hair and the earrings and everything and cover ourselves in body oil and still be the most straight manly men ever and so it's interesting to sort of see people be like well look at the flamboyant clothing and i i agree like just looking back and not even being exposed to that because of where i grew up was just very not in any of that kind of scene of just being like well yeah i mean if anything i think you could read sam as the straightest one in the movie if you wanted to you know of the sort of like who is an outcast and where and what are they trying to say i think is could be read a lot of different ways and i think especially with the language of film and the way that films are made nothing is unintentional and like yeah maybe some movies things are unintentional but there are so many things that it's just like the the outfits are over the top and flamboyant for this community that they're showing us that are just wearing like blacks and browns and tans and like mm-hmm. this whole like utilitarian sort of look for a lot of the people that we're meeting other than the vampire characters who are all billy idols and like yeah like choose a rock star and they're a vampire <laughs> but that sounds uh, right. that is extremely <laughs> my vibe i like that choose a rock star vampire done all right i figured out my look (laughs) yeah i love how quintessentially 80s and rock stars this movie was i will admit i actually conflated it with fright night which came out around the same time the original Hmm. and then i started watching this and i was like oh yeah this is a different movie This is actually the Lost Boys. This is how this goes. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I've seen Fright Night. Now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. Anyway, uh, but 
yeah like this this movie is very like it really is its own thing uh and it's i was reading that it inspired it was like the main inspiration for buffy the vampire slayer and especially when you look at the design of their vampires just being like people who are just sort of like kind of attractive and then they have a face that's just a little bit more a little bit demonic like yeah yeah just 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 edging into that territory yeah it's like oh yeah i can see that oh i didn't know that but that makes perfect sense yeah totally let's talk a little bit about the the movie itself and we'll come back around to various aspects of sam Uh, but first and foremost, I am in love with this movie. This is a movie. It's like one of the things that I bonded with my mother over is like she introduced me to this movie. This I uh, dressed as a Lost Boy style vampire for Halloween one year. Nice. So like for me, this is this is my movie when it comes to October until another one reminds me that I used to love that movie. And then that is my movie when it comes to October. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but everything from the, the that intro just pulls you in. The whole like sweeping crane shot, uh, the sound design of it, the whole uh, that song, the cry little sister, which is yes, the theme song. Oh, that's so good. Yes, yes. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk for a second about that theme song because that gets brought up in a lot of these queer discussions, uh, and specifically that whole the the chorus of. Uh, cry little sister unchained hold on i'm gonna look up the exact lyric so it is by gerard mcmahon who is not the sisters of mercy uh which is a weird distinction to make i realize but in a lot of the napster culture in the downloading culture there were a lot of uh files that were labeled as one thing when in reality they were another thing and this was attributed a lot to the sisters of mercy who are a wonderful goth industrial like pre-industrial into industrial band sure you should listen to the sisters of mercy but they didn't do this song <laughs> but specifically the lyric that gets quoted a lot in a lot of queer interpretations of this is uh unchain me sister love is with your brother hmm. and it's it's just like i didn't realize how deep of a dive the queer interpretation of this movie was until I started getting into a lot of these things. And it's just like, yeah, that is an interesting lyric when you start looking at it from that <laughs> perspective. <laughs> in my opinion, that that just that whole intro is flawless in this movie. I like the way they, they threaded in, you know, they did some world building as part of the intro because you see people looking at like wanted posters for missing kids. And, you know, it sets so much without any dialogue at all. It's a really good intro. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And then when we are finally, so a lot of things, a lot of things happen with these sort of punk, these punk guys led by Kiefer Sutherland and featuring in their ranks, Bill from Bill and Ted with a, with a mullet. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently in my research, Ben Stiller has commented that he was, uh, he was in the interview. He was in the uh, the audition room to be potentially one of the Lost Boys. Huh. Oh my gosh! Which Ben Stiller? Uh, yeah, right. Like imagine that movie <laughs> where it's it's Bill from Bill and Ted, Kiefer Sutherland, a bunch of models, and Ben Stiller. <laughs> you made me bleed my own blood. <laughs> Oh, I would I would love to see that 
alternate universe movie. Yeah. The alternate <laughs> the alternate, we've been Mandela affected and he's actually been in there the entire time. We're just from the reality where that did not exist. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and admit that watching this movie now that I've been on hormones for eight months, mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland's freaking hot. <laughs> I want him to take me home and make me a vampire. <laughs> You are definitely not alone in that. And this is like, that was the thing, like, sexy Kiefer Sutherland is just like, is a mood, honestly. It's just like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah, so funny story with uh, Kiefer Sutherland and a lot of these uh, vampires. The original script that was handed in, it was supposed to be, because the Lost Boys is sort of a, a riff and a play on that idea of the Peter Pan Lost Boys who never grow up. Um Initially, the script was about, it was sort of a a Goonies style movie where these vampires were young and uh, like children, which is an interesting concept, that idea of like child vampires who descend upon an entire town. But I love this version. This is the right version with sexy Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that was the thing. Uh, I can't remember the name of the director offhand, but the director had a heavy hand in rewriting the script when he took on the uh, took on the role, and he said, "Like mm, that's not interesting to me." And so this is where we get these like Billy Idol, almost call them Billy Eilish. This <laughs> Billy Idol, which Billy Billy Eilish <laughs> would be like who they would look at for like, a great yeah vampire a modern. Billy Alice vampire, hell yeah. I'm into this. Uh, All right, so we're pitching a new script. (laughs) We're pitching two new scripts because I also want to see that kind of 30 days of night kind of small town is overrun by vampires, but with kids. Yeah. That sounds like fun. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because like child acting is so different now than it was until like really through the 90s of like, you know, now you're like, oh, yeah, I could think of a couple young actors who could be that creepy and who could carry a movie like that, which would be a very different thing than like a Goonies style vampire film. So when you're trying to get into that like gritty thing also makes sense to sort of go with these hot models and stuff. Yeah. So where, where was I going? With all this? Oh, so I had I had a note. Sorry. Like I so this one, as much as I I've done a lot of work on this one, like more than a lot of the other episodes that we've done, which are a lot more straightforward. Uh, and one of the things but one of the things that I noticed immediately was looking at this crowd and a lot of it was not extras that they hired to portray a crowd of people in Santa Carla, which is a space in California that does not exist. Um, but these people were just people that they found on the street uh, and took B-roll of. I wonder. And, and a lot of this B-roll, and this is like, this has been a common practice. I don't know how common it still is in filmmaking to do that, but I know um, I've had friends that were in B-roll of movies that they had to sign a waiver to be a part of. Um, and with this, it was just like a lot of people that I have... I have never interacted with these specific people, but I've definitely interacted with all of these people. And it's just like, oh, this place is just made up of a bunch of queer people and families. I'm kind of into Santa Carla and want to be a part of Santa Carla now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's... It'd be great if it wasn't for the vampires eating you. You'd <laughs> you know, even set. then. Even then. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to what we're doing now, it's actually yeah, amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So go right ahead. Go yeah, right that's ahead, basically please. my favorite line in the movie at the end where <clears throat> everything's said and done 
and the grandpa shows up, walks in there and pulls a drink out of the fridge, takes a big swig out of it and says something like, you know, Santa Carla is a really nice place, but it wasn't for all the damn vampires. <laughs> it takes a lot for a, mo- a movie to earn a punchline as the last line of the film. Most films cannot yeah. get away with that, but it really works. And the grandfather, I love how they seeded the idea that the grandfather knew about the vampires the whole time with the just increasingly obvious giant stakes everywhere. There's one point where he's like putting a fence in the ground and he's putting it in the <laughs> wrong way up. Like the pointy end is supposed to go into the ground so I didn't you can even think you about know, that. hammer it in and instead it's sticking up. And I was like, hang on a <laughs> second. I'm going to have to go watch it again now. I didn't even pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really smart. I mean, even like the, the whole like taxidermy joke, but then they end up like using the antlers and stuff to kill all the nice. vampires. <laughs> Like this man is ready. He's ready. He's been doing this for years, and you're just coming in (laughs) trying to maybe drink his root beer and eat his double stuffed Oreos. (laughs) Right. Well, it puts the weird like they show up and he's playing dead on the porch into a different light. If he's like maybe vampires, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I saw that. The kind of like black humor you would develop if you lived where the vampires lived. <laughs> oh, I'm eating. I'm, I'm seeing my grandkids and my daughter for, uh, for the first time in a while. I'll play dead. Like, oh, grandpa. <laughs> well, I love how Sam was like, if he's dead, can we yeah! go back to Phoenix? <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> now I want to pitch a prequel of grandpa in his young age being a vampire hunter. Yes. Oh, I would watch the hell yeah. out of that. Yes. So please. we're we're basically pitching an entire Lost Boys connected universe that we yeah. should all right. That's how you know you really love something if you're just like, but what if all these other ideas? Oh, and and even then, like there were so many. This ending, the ending of this movie is so good because they seed everything in very small ways. I don't want to say subtle because they make it sure, like and especially the whole grandpa thing. They see the joke with the grandpa very well because one of the first things you see is this fridge is like, all right, this is a second shelf of the ice box. It's got my root beer. It's got my double stuffed Oreos. Don't touch it. So immediately you think, okay, as a viewer, this is important. This is interesting. This is all right. No, it's just a quirk. That's fine. It's a quirk. And then at the end, when he goes immediately after staking the head vampire and by the way, spoilers, I, I will put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this episode. Uh, <laughs> We've already told you everything. After Sorry. He stakes the head vampire, <laughs> which is a, another twist that I'm going to get to in a moment. The first thing he does, he doesn't say a word. He just goes to that ice box, picks up a root beer, and starts drinking it. It's just like, oh, like you know, they pay. They made you pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. Ah, there is a good payoff in the end. That's why I'm paying attention to this. Yeah. And that's why, and that's part of the reason why, even though I, I mentioned earlier this idea of like, okay, in film, everything is intentional. And sometimes people forget that. Uh, sometimes filmmakers forget that. Sometimes filmmakers will lead you on that. Nothing about this movie is unintentional. Everything has a payoff, pretty much. Or at least a lot of the important stuff. And that's why I, I say, like, I feel like everything about Sam is so intentional. Um, yeah, it's a really tight movie. Yeah. A really mm-hmm. tight script, I think. Yeah, like ah. So the other the other big twist is that Max, who is this guy who's kind of interested in the mother, um, names are never good for me. So apologies if you all are sitting there being like, ah, oh. oh, say the name of the character. It's like the mother character. <laughs> like 
the mom. The mom. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, the mom. Uh, <laughs> so Max is the love interest of the main uh, the, the mother character and we see him throughout and they kind of test whether he's a vampire and they throw they make him eat garlic and they throw holy water onto him and they try and see if he sees his reflection in the mirror and and you know he passes all the tests so you're like oh okay passes the tests. i guess he's not a vampire and they start also feeding like, oh, maybe he's going to be a victim. Oh, no, he's going to be a victim. Oh, no. Okay, he's safe. All right, that's fine. And then by the end, you find out, yes, he is the head vampire. And he got the reason that it's okay is because the reason he's been okay is because you invited me in. Yeah. Yes. I love that was a really clever twist because it's hard to like reinvent vampire lore in an original way. So the idea that they can come in without being asked, but if you ask them, then they like lose all of you lose all of your advantage. I thought was a really clever way of twisting it. And there was always a part of me like watching him that thought he must be the mm -hmm. bad guy because that's always the thing. It's always the like middle-class white guy yeah. you know who's like hanging around and you know he's your teacher he's the you know the guy who owns the you know record store it's like always that kind of thing where you know the the real scary guy all along was this, this white dude <laughs> who just wanted to take you out to dinner um so I, I was waiting for that but it never occurred to me to consider that that might be you know a, a, in, as soon as he was like he comes up to Michael and he's on the threshold and he's like, well, it's, you know, you're the man of the house. Like, so I, I won't come in until you ask me. And Michael asked me, I was like, oh no. <laughs> but then I, but they fooled me because all the tests didn't work. So it was like really clever mm -hmm. uh, scripting wise. Cause they kept twisting it where you're like, maybe it's him, maybe it's not, um, you know, in the idea of sort of looking for a head vampire, I, I kind of figured pretty quickly that it wasn't just the guys that we were seeing. <laughs> That it had to be some. They had to be something else, but uh, I didn't. I didn't really figure it out until the end. So I thought that was really yeah. clever. God, I could just talk about this movie for hours, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to pull it in a little bit more on Sam, what are some of the other stuff? Because I, I wrote a bunch of things that I noticed and that I found from a lot of these queer interpretations. What are some of the things that you noticed? Uh, what are some of the other things that you noticed about Sam that seemed not necessarily a little off, but as far as writers writers particularly from the 80s and 90s writing a a young boy character that just felt a little weird well i have one but it's not the writing okay it's the rob Lowe poster <laughs> <laughs> because we i was watching it and i was watching it with my partner who's seen it before and we were sitting there and we just it was like the first time sam goes to the closet we were like wait was that was that rob Lowe? wait was that a really sexy picture no and then we went back again and it was and it just that because i was definitely like sort of following this idea that oh no they just didn't bother to change the script that much they weren't really worried about like the female archetypes coming off as weird and they just went with it and they thought it would be fine but that, that that's that's an intentional choice there's no way to like write around that of like well we had already picked the poster so we couldn't change it just because sam's a boy now <laughs> It's like gay icon Rob Lowe, who was like really popular with the gays at that time. I was like, there's what is happening? As soon as I saw it again, because I forgot about it. And then as soon as I saw it again, I literally lulled. Sorry, just a Rob Lowe joke. Oh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I love that man. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting 
about that because that scene where we first are introduced to stupid sexy Roblo was <laughs> <laughs> she the mother makes some offhanded comment to Sam about how oh I think part of the reason I left your father or like part of the reason uh hold on I think I wrote it down oh no I didn't write down the exact quote oh yeah I know what you're talking yeah. about when Sam's like can you close the closet door before I go to sleep and she's like you know it's okay because I'm kind of, I can't sleep with the closet door open at all either and I think sometimes one of the reasons I left your father is because he was never afraid of the closet monster yeah and, and, and it's interesting now because like I feel like I have the two theories are like battling you know in my head because on the one hand like that sounds like a very sort of like cute mom and daughter kind of thing yeah where it's like you, moms and daughters can be you know there's less stigma they can be a little more playful a little more silly with each other like the daughters are going to be a little less concerned with like seeming adult and so on the one hand i was like that just seems really silly but like if you are going with more of this was intentionally queer rather than we just changed it and didn't worry about it is that does feel a little bit like a different thing but it's also like unclear to me like how old characters are supposed to be because they didn't really cast to age very much so like you know are the vampires supposed to be teenagers are they adults are the kids like preteens are they like i don't know <laughs> so like that threw me a little bit too it's definitely the beverly hills 90210 effect yeah <laughs> yeah so i wasn't quite sure like if i was supposed to read this as being just sort of like just a cute childish moment or if it's supposed to be a little bit more unusual yeah especially since she's so playful and so cute about it yeah i think also because there was a moment where sam wanted to like hold on i'm trying to say i'm trying to figure out how to phrase this so that i'm not trying to imply that sam wanted to have sex with his mother wanted to physically sleep with uh, to lay down with to go to sleep, sleep with in yeah <laughs> it's not it's working no matter actually. what i say it just sounds like yeah no but sleep in mom's bed yes. like a little kid yeah <laughs> and there's no question about this there's no anything it's like sure okay it's like how old is sam like yeah because we also see because we also see a very young vampire like <laughs> yes <sighs> and it's fine like i don't want to shame people for various things i don't want to make it seem like because i i think that there's just a level of closeness that was confusing to me from an outsider that might make perfect sense to an insider of like they might just be very close they might just like i think physical intimacy is often uh look like frowned upon in particularly visual media like there's a lot of different things that people pull from that and that's part of why I'm pulling from that. But at the same time, I'm just like, why? <laughs> yeah, no, there was something about Sam that was an incredibly innocent character. Mm, yeah. And the the film interprets all of Sam's intentions as very innocent and pure. The other characters always interpret Sam's intentions as very innocent and pure. There's, there's really no point at where I thought that like, anyone thought, oh, Sam, you're a little weird for being like this, you know, which I, I really appreciated, like, whatever your read on the character or the intention of the gender or sexuality of the character is, which is especially interesting if you want to read it, Sam, as queer, because 
at that point of time, you, a queer coded character would be the exact opposite. They were really leaning really, you know, a height of the AIDS crisis. They're leaning really hard into the sort of like the predator aspect and like the more presenting them as gross or scary or different. And, and Sam is like, even with the clothing choice, like literally a ray of sunshine in a dark film. Yeah. Which I thought was really striking. And I think a lot of those moments for me were just like, I don't know, like it's such a non-issue that it just, yeah. And then like the, the gag where Sam has all the garlic <laughs> under his robe. And the mom's like, oh, what, did you eat pizza? It smells like garlic. <laughs> Like really sort of ease that uh, another degree of, you know, reminding us why, what's going on with Sam, especially when you're considering like, like what are, vampires are always allegory for something. And I think several things in this movie, but one of it that I found really interesting is it's about, you know, two kids being displaced for their home, which is a common sort of like teen film question and, and of Sam watching his older brother grow away from him like they clearly have a really close relationship too and that and that michael's getting involved with the vampires is like well now he's he's interested in this woman and he you know left me at the park and like that sort of thing and to sort of have the contrast of all of the stuff that michael's starting to get mired in that is morally questionable that is sexual that is you know can be a metaphor for a lot of things and then to have sam as the opposite of being like this golden child with these weird like goonie rambo <laughs> friends <laughs> which i loved but it was like it was almost like two movies right or almost like three movies you had sort of the beginning section which is like displaced teens lot you know parents broke up here we are in a new town we don't want to be in kind of trying to find our way and like make new friends and figure out where we belong and then it was sort of goonies in the middle when they attack the vampires it was so goonies and then the end, it goes all the way to horror. Yeah. With, you know, even with like the blood coming out of the sinks and things like that, which I thought was really fascinating to see the breakdown. For, you, you were talking about the vampires always being an allegory for something. And to me, it felt like kind of an allegory for toxic masculinity. Because mm. like at the beginning of the movie, you see the older brother being really silly and kind of mischievous, you know, with, with Sam and just running around joking and, you know, that kind of thing. And then he gets sucked into this group of vampires and he starts to kind of act like them. And he kind of turns into a vampire himself, you know, and you kind of see him drift away from Sam and that source of positivity. Like you said, a ray of sunshine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, and there's actually two aspects of that in my research talking about how other people have uh, viewed this as a queer film. Uh, first being this, like we talked a little bit about this whole idea of like familial uh, physical intimacy. And there is like a physical intimacy that is shown between Michael and Sam in the beginning during that whole roughhousing scene that just, mm -hmm. it's not that like, and it's not bad. It's never felt like it's anything beyond just their two brothers who uh, are very close to each other. But at the same time, there is that like level of physical in intimacy that they don't show between two male characters in a lot of pieces, especially of that time that I thought was just fascinating to see. And again, like, it just felt like they were two, like they were two brothers and they just like, you know, like, yeah. The other, the other big thing that I saw was that much like you were talking about Silas, uh, this was either like, an, this could be looked as an allegory for uh, the AIDS crisis and particularly how it is, how it was viewed by 
the straight populace about gay people, or also just that idea of Michael trying to figure out his sexuality. Yeah, I see that. I see that a lot in sort of the way that he's drawn into these different relationships. I mean, there's something so poignant to me, like he, he, you know, he's attracted to the girl first and that's how he ends up in the group. And then he's immediately sort of like sidelined by the other guys, like physically sidelined into sort of becoming one of them. And then he starts to realize that maybe he's turning into a vampire. And the first thing he does is go have sex with a lady. He's like, oh no, 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 straight, straight, normal, normal and straight, it's fine. And it just felt so <laughs> on the nose to me somehow of just like spending all this time like doing weird dangerous things with other hot guys in leather and then running away. It's like I'm I, I swear I'm straight, I swear I'm straight, stupid sexy Rob Lowe. Anyway, uh, I'm just gonna keep going back to that. <laughs> stupid sexy everyone. Why is everyone hot in this movie? Damn it. Why? <laughs> Ah, uh, the real story of bisexuality. Why is everyone hot? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, I just thought of something that kind of plays back into that toxic masculinity thing. Mm. You find out that the head vampire, the source of all these bad vibes, is the patriarch, the dad, the dad character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, I, I, I was sort of kicking myself because, of course, I was like, oh, Lost Boys. Yeah, like, I get it. They're just like a band of boys who don't grow up. But, like, the there's no Peter Pan yeah. in their gang. Like, there's kind of a leader, sort of. David is the leader, but not really. He's just the pushy yeah. one, you know? Um, and, and so, like, it was sort of missing that figure and when at the end when he was like your boys are misbehaving just like mine it felt because like especially when you consider like you know actual peter pan in the book and how peter is in complete and ultimate control of everything that happens on neverland literally when he leaves everybody just walks in a circle endlessly until he comes back and and this idea of of the vampire you know, especially if you're going with the, the thing of like, oh, if you kill the head vampire, everybody's free. You know, all of the source, all of the magic, if you will, comes from this one person felt. I was like, oh, Lost Boys. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. God, I love this movie. OK, uh, I can't just keep saying that. I've got to do some actual <laughs> some actual media analysis. Um, <laughs> there's also a note. Hold on a sec. There was a note that I had. Uh, oh, we so we would be yelled at, absolutely blasted on the internet if we did not talk about the shirtless saxophone playing man. The big buff down the stage. Yes, the guy that looks like Triple H from WWE. So Oh, I can't remember his name now, but I like looked him up and I found an article about him like going back home to California. Whatever, I forget what it was. It was really good though. He was he is apparently a multi-instrumentalist and actually still releases music. Oh nice. That's awesome. I'm gonna yeah. buy all his stuff. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was so impressed. But that's what I'm talking about, about this sort of like the 80s thing of like we can cover ourselves in oil, wear no clothes, like do what you know, just be on display, and it's still sort of hyper masculine or sort of we're at least we're saying that it is, you know, like this is the the biggest, straightest, toughest dude thing that you can do, and how fascinating it is to see 
that people at the time were, wouldn't be what we're doing now. We're going, like, mm. do, you, do you want people to know you like less boys? Are, are you sure? Are you comfortable with your sexuality? What are you going to do? You know? And like, I feel like it was less of an issue then because it was sort of accepted. And I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also just interesting because now I feel like I would look at that happening and be like, all right, fantastic. As opposed to back then, I would have been like, all right, fantastic, but for a very different reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like now it's like, all right, own, own, own your aesthetic, my friend. You know exactly who you are. (laughs) Whereas before times it would be like, that is the most masculine thing I've ever seen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Muscles and saxophones. Totally, totally straight. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, I will say I blame NXS for all the saxophones in the eighties. Like it's not just them, but like you look at the saxophone boom, it's because NXS started using saxophones. Mm. anyway uh that was a that was off topic uh back to the topic at hand which is uh sam let's go a little bit more further now let's assume that they initially wrote a female a cis female character and they just kept a lot of the the building blocks a lot of the bricks the archetype of this character and applied it to a cis male character what does that say about that character how does how does that manifest in that character my big question, if, if someone had told, told me that definitely this is what happened, my assumption would be at some point they looked at that script and they looked at the bathtub scene and they said, this implies that the older brother wants to have sex with his sister and it's too incestuous and we can't do it. That was the big thing that stood out to me of, you know, sort of hiding behind heteronormativity of like, well, just no one's going to think it because it's two boys and you can't think about it. Cause everything about that is like, it's got the horror tropes of, you know, being in the bathtub and the, the light and the dark, you know, the white tile and the darkness. And like, if that was a girl naked in the tub with a vampire outside the door, wanting to probably suck her blood, like it's just, it just so it gets so sexual so quickly. And so that was my big thing of like, you, you're doing something really specific with with a female character if you choose to do that and if they're brother and sister like i could see someone being like "Ooh, that's that's too much yeah these days it they might fly with it but back then no i couldn't see it Mm. yeah no i i could definitely see that i think i think the other thing is if they intentionally said we're going to make sam gay so what we're going to do and this was sort of a, a mentality particularly of a lot of like again putting that trans lens on it this was a lot of the mentality of people and how they felt trans people were this idea of born in the wrong body this idea of uh, even then like in a lot of queer circles it was this idea of gay men have a female spirit was a phrase that i have heard in the past and so this idea of okay this character again we're we're speculating but we're speculating that they said we're going to make this character a male character, a cis male character, and we're going to make him queer in some way. It would make sense that they would immediately say, well, then let's build a female character, but change all the pronouns, change all of the relationships because of that idea of the quote unquote female spirit within a, again, quote unquote male body. Mm -hmm. So to me, I I can see that as a very realistic thing for, to be said in a, in an interview, not an interview, but in a uh, a pitch session or in a, a session with the writers as like, okay, how do we do this? How do we achieve that? Uh, but it does put 
so then let me ask you a follow-up to that. Does all of that, does all the things that we talked about, does our last question that we just talked about, does that influence whether we think Sam is a trans character? This is an exact answer to your question. But as I ponder it, the thing that strikes me. That's cool. Let's go on a journey. Let's go on a journey, Silas. <laughs> Maybe I'll get to the answer by the end of this. The thing that I keep thinking about in the idea of, of Sam being queer in some way, gay or maybe trans, is again this idea of, of the purity of the character surrounded by a lot of darkness, a lot of violence, a lot of people trying to make you know questionable choices and trying to figure out how to get out of them, is the idea of if that being an intentional choice to have Sam you know sort of represent this kind of queer character, gender essentialism aside, it's actually a really positive portrayal that that is put up in contrast to all the, these other sort of dark horror you know, type things. And so like the idea of considering that somebody in, in the, you know, in the writer's room or in production was like, I'd like to sort of sneak this nice queer character by your average audience member that is a really yeah. cool idea like i want that to be true because to if you wanted to read sam as as you know maybe a, a trans woman or trans femme person who hasn't you know either isn't out or hasn't figured it out or anything like that what a wonderful person sam's a wonderful person sam's a lot like you know his mom yeah is like bright sunny you know kind to people a, a little bit flighty, but in a really endearing way. Like that's a great character. So I hope that they did that because somebody was somebody was being a really wonderful person to, to sneak that into this movie. Sam kind of struck me as the Beverly Marsh of the movie. Remember Beverly Marsh from It? The, yes, the girl, yes, yes, yes. The girl yeah. that came into this group of boys. And I think Beverly and Sam have like, a similar kind of personality and a kind of similar mannerism set. Like Sam is, is kind of reserved. He's tall for a boy for his age, you know, and he's, he's kind of silly at the same time. And he's kind of, you know, when you think about it in the context of like eighties movies and Beverly Marsh, and you know, you have this girl come in who is just this, singular entity and all of the boys kind of flock around her and that's kind of what happened to sam as he walked into that comic shop he had the frog brothers kind of group around him you know and i feel like they have kind of a similar vibe going on yeah i see that for sure where sam yeah sam is just this kind of reserved um personality and he's kind of silly and he's a little bit prissy I especially saw that in a line where Sam realizes that his brother is a vampire and he doesn't fly off the handle and be like, yeah, I'm going to stake your ass now. You know, he's more like, you're a vampire. I'm going to tell mom you're in so much trouble. <laughs> I love you know, that line so much. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that line until you brought it up. Yes. You're a vampire. You're a shit sucking vampire. I'm gonna tell mom. Or mom's yeah. gonna be so mad. He's <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh. 
No, and I, I love that because I didn't even think like it actually when you brought up Beverly Marsh, I was like, that name is familiar. And that it took me a moment to kind of like, yeah, like once you said it, it's like, yeah, no, it, it absolutely. Like Sam fills that character type that we, we see in a lot of yeah. that era. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, as far as as far as my answer, I. It's always tough because because they don't state it. We could absolutely do the reading, but at the same time, like, okay. Like, and I think that there is absolutely a case to be made that if we were to make that statement or if they, if the writer and director came out later and said, oh yeah, that was our intention the entire time, or we did it with a little, like, we, we kind of, we didn't necessarily do it as nuanced as we could have done nowadays. Um, but at the same time, that was our intention. I, I'd be down for it. And honestly, I'd love it. And I think that that would be great. And I agree with you. I think that it would be a really good portrayal uh, because I also think it's it's tough because especially with a lot of like trans narratives, so much of it is the transition. So much of it is that period of time where you're like, yes, I'm doing this and I'm going to do something physical or yes, I'm doing this and I'm I'm going to own it. And I think that that's great. And those narratives absolutely need to exist for a, a lot of people. But at the same time, that's the only narrative that ever gets told. And I think it's interesting to kind of look at this character and say, in a future movie, and I know that there are future movies, but we are not watching them because <laughs> they are bad from what I hear. Um, oh, really? I, I've heard they're not so great. <laughs> Maybe I'll sit down and watch them. Is it the same characters? There's, I, I know uh, Corey Feldman is in one of them. I don't know about the rest of the characters. I know Kiefer Sutherland did not come back, to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> so, Although he's dead, so that makes sense. Uh, but... <laughs> Now that I'm uh, now that I'm figuring that out, it's like yeah, that would be pretty tough to bring Kiefer Sutherland back, wouldn't it? Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I've just heard terrible things about it. But like, if we learn in a future movie that Sam, in fact, is trans, that'd be cool. And I actually dig that, like what we call in in uh, pro wrestling long form storytelling, which I'm sure they call it in everything. But this long form storytelling of Sam is trans, and we showed you that right in the beginning of uh, the Lost Boys. the The hints were there. I would be down for it, and I'd think that yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna start wrapping up. Before I ask the questions that I ask every single episode, uh, is there anything that we absolutely should talk about with Lost Boys before we move on to the ending? I think we covered all my points. I talked about. <laughs> I always do. Yeah, let's be there, was, there was a lot to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. There's so much in this movie. Like having only watched it one time, I'm like, I need to go watch it a couple more times because I feel like there's so much that I, I didn't catch. Actually, or don't Silas, remember. as someone who just watched it for the first time, because I will admit the very end, that last joke about with the grandpa, it was spoiled for me in the goddamn advertisement for. For the movie because oh. i watched it on tv first i hate it when they do that they're like we'll give away the best line oh, in the no. film. why did yeah why did they do so that? for me it was just like well this lost all of the impact that it could have possibly had oh, um, yeah. how did oh, did you see like i know that you mentioned that you didn't necessarily see it coming but like did that line hit you did you like really laugh at them? like what yeah oh, like, yeah it was amazing it was so amazing and like the comedic timing of the whole thing of him like slowly shuffling over and you know i'm i'm doing the same thing that his family are doing i'm just kind of standing there like what what are you what are you 
What's what's gonna happen? Something's happening. What's that? <laughs> just, just goddamn vampires. Oh, I'm not gonna lie, so I may good. interrupt this episode to let people know, <laughs> hey, if you haven't seen this, we're gonna talk about the ending and we're gonna do the exact same thing that ruined it for Ashley. So. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's true. I always forget that. I always come into this being like, oh, everyone's seen it, but half the we point have. of this is we watch it so right, you don't have, have to. to but I don't think about it as much with the stuff mm-hmm. that we like. If we like it, I just sort of start to assume that everyone's seen it. And if we don't like it, I'm like, warning, warning, don't bother. <laughs> yeah. But in, I'll, I'll put a very positive warning. Like, hey, this is great. Watch it. Uh, please watch it, but don't... Uh, but we're going to spoil it. We will spoil yeah. it for you. Uh, so... Oh, the only other thing I want to talk about is the comedy in this is amazing. Like, it's it's there, it's present, it's not the major thing within it, the theme, et cetera, et cetera. It's very much like spooky, sexy vampires. But at the same time, the comedy is so good. The, the moment that they steal the holy water and there's a communion going on oh. in the church and they just stare at the kids in these, like, army fatigues. Like, these, like, <laughs> stealing holy water. <laughs> it's like, that's one thing that I loved about 80s horror is like you've got all this horror going on and blood and guts and blah, 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 blah. And then you've got moments of comedy that kind of endear you to the characters and make you care more about what's happening to them. Yes. Ah, okay. It's like, oh, there's still people besides the fact that they're in yeah. the movie. <laughs> oh, that, that moment was so funny and so realistic. You know, it's like, if this weird thing happened, that is exactly how all those people at this first communion or baptism or whatever it was. Really baptism, I baptism. But yeah. I, I think it was a baptism. There was a baby. There was a baby. <laughs> um, there was a baby. This baptism, like the fact that no one knows what to do and they're all like proper white people who have been trained their whole life not to confront awkward situations with anything except for like the lightest, most passive aggressive move that they just stay that stand there and watch these kids do this and then leave. I was just like, so real. Or so real. the short story that we're going to write about this because we're just pitching a bunch of different things. The short story is all of them knew that vampires exist in this town and they're just And it happens all oh, the they're time. Vampires. <laughs> oh more vampire okay. hunters. Oh, I wish they would wait until we're we were in the middle of something people. <laughs> These like overworked priests who are just blessing holy water like all the time. You know, you could have just asked me for that holy water. (laughs) People come in here all the time that need it. You could have just asked me. You don't have to see it. I know why you need it. (laughs) We got a jug in the back. Tubs. But he's blessed. He's pre blessed. It's just like pre blessed. It's like labeled. It's like this is for you know regular use. This is for the baptism. This is for the vampire hunters. Like, have it organized in the back, okay? Oh, you're dealing with the, just some underlings, or you're dealing with the head vampire? Oh, well, hold on, let me get you the good stuff. <laughs> Industrial strength, holy water. Blessed by me and five other priests and one rabbi in the. Uh, in the- I you know I want more. I want more non-Christian vampire fighters that's all oh, i'm saying yes yes oh but speaking of that the thing sam does whenever there's a vampire where he just tries to make a cross with his fingers that was hilarious every single time i was laughing that was so funny i was like child that is not how it works <sighs> okay so now the question that we always ask first uh let's start with let's start with was it transphobic 
I realize this is gonna be a hard one to specifically objectively answer, but like, was it? I don't. No. Oh, no. I don't think so. Mm. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the lack of judgment on the fact that Sam's character embodies more of what we would call feminine roles and that it's a non-issue i think that's the thing that for me makes it like not homophobic not transphobic however you want to read it even if it's just he's just a cis straight boy and this is what he's like and everyone's cool with it like i think that the the spirit of it works. yeah i think i think based on uh if there's more context from the creators that we hear later we will obviously change the stance but at the same time especially because Sam is a lot more sensitive, especially because Sam is filling a role that would normally go to uh, a cis female actor slash character. There's a lot about it that they could have gone in like, for lack of a better term, no homo routes. There's a lot of ways that they could have gone in like very, like making Sam more of this, like a, a caricature of, for lack of a better term, like a, a caricature of minciness that they absolutely did not go with, but there are some very obvious things that they've given, to, very obvious aspects that they've given to him that make me act, like not only resolutely say, no, it's not transphobic. This is just a very well done, very well done character that exhibits non-stereotypical masculinity in a way that is just very refreshing. It really is. Yeah. So the other question, and I feel like I already know the answer to this, but did you enjoy it? Heck yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I think I enjoyed it more, like the more we talked about it, the more I realized how mm -hmm. much I liked it. Because there was a little bit of that going in there. Just like, what am I, what am I watching? What, what's <laughs> happening? I'm like, now I'm like, no, I want to watch it again. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is true of like a lot of cult mm -hmm. classics. Like the reasons that you like them are usually complex. They're usually about like your experience with other people, you know, and, and so it's not just sort of like a, I watched it once and it was great. And then I left. Yeah. I like, I, I feel like, and especially when we try and apply a certain lens of criticism or any criticism to a piece immediately, a immediately people think that that means that you think, it is true. So like, I know we're going to put out this episode and people are immediately going to respond without listening to it saying like, it's not, why would you think it is? And I feel like a, that's fine, but we've done the work to actually look at it and say like, no, it's not transphobic, but also God, this is a good movie. <laughs> like, ah, it's so fun. It's so like, it's, ah, this is, this is, this is the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's really well done. I, thought, awesome. I feel like a lot of those 80s horror movies were done really well that way and written written and shot really tight that way. Yeah. I love that whole, you know, these standalone horror movies like, you know, Lost Boys and Fright Night and People Under the Stairs and just, mm. you know, stuff like that where a lot of them would bring in a kid character and I just I kind of try to pull that into my own stuff my own writing to be honest because I just I love it so much yeah and I, I think especially because you brought up that idea of just like the 80s horror movie in general there's there's something about it that 
people try and grab onto the aesthetic and i get it yeah the 80s was fun i i grew up in the 80s so like you're always trying to kind of like embody the era that you grew up in for some reason uh but there really was something about 80s horror movies that brought you in created interesting characters and just did that whether it's through the the cinematography or the sound design or something, there's always something about it that is just very specifically an 80s horror movie. Yeah. And, oh. Yeah. And yeah, and some of it some of it didn't age well, but the stuff that did is just ooh. Ooh, just pinnacle. Did you ever watch that movie? Um, I think it's called The Gate, where these kids find a hell a hell mouth in the backyard. I haven't. It's on my like watch list. It was like I forget what it came. I, it came up in some list that I was like, watching or consuming, and I was just like, I gotta see this. Yeah, that was a good one. Hmm. That's yeah. another ah. good example of this kind of movie. Eighties ah, horror. Okay, so uh, yeah, let, while we're wrapping up, tell folks uh, how to find you if you want them to find you online. Uh, what you're promoting, et cetera, et cetera. Online things are weird. Silas, you go. I'll go. go. (laughs) That's like we're just staring at each other. Online things are weird. I don't Uh, understand them. We're Um, we're trying, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you can find me, Silas Barrett, on uh, Instagram, Twitter, at uh, ThatSciGuy, S-Y's and Silas. And you can find my work on Tor.com, Silas K. Barrett. And I'm S.A. Hunt. You can find... Uh, find my horror novels at tor.com as well. And I'm on pretty much all of the social media. You can find all that stuff at essaybooks or essayhuntbooks.com. Awesome. And for me, uh, you can find my stuff at ashleylaurenrogers.com. You can find me on Twitter at lucretiadeerfor. We now, is it transphobic? You can find us on Instagram. This is a thing that I just set up because I finally uh, broke down and made an Instagram for us. (laughs) <laughs> and it is uh you can find us at is a transphobic uh you can also find us on twitter at is a transphobic and if you go to bit.ly slash is it transphobic see there's a transphobic there's a transphobic podcast it doesn't matter you'll find us just go find us on social media and you'll find the website what bad Google. Bad host. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. This was excellent. Yeah, thank you. I really had a good time. Is It Transphobic was produced, edited, and coordinated by Ashley Lauren Rogers. The original music you heard was all created by Vivian Aladrin, who you can find on Bandcamp at vivianaladrin.bandcamp.com. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. Really quick, I just wanted to give a page. Oh man, of course I didn't log in. That would make things way too easy. We're going to try that again.